turn with me, if you will, to our text this morning, which comes from the letter of Jude, and we'll be looking at verses 11 through 13. Hear with me the reading of God's Word. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. Last week we learned the manner of sin in which these false teachers engaged in and we heard Jews' repudiation of their immoral practices as they defiled their flesh. We learned they gave themselves up to sexual immorality. They rejected authority. That was the authority of the Lord as well as His messengers. And they blasphemed the glorious ones. They blasphemed those whom the Lord had anointed or put over them in the church. And all these things displayed that in fact these, these people who have crept into the churches are not true believers. They were stained, they were polluted, they were contaminated. And so Jude writes, warning the saints, desiring to stop the spread of the contamination. Telling them, hold fast, contend to the word that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For yes, these false teachers' practices were wrong and evil, but likewise their beliefs were wrong, as their practices were only a byproduct of what they believed. They didn't believe in that pure doctrine, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, for when the gospel comes in power, it produces effects in those who profess it. For if I say I love my wife, yet I abuse her, my profession is false. And rather what I show that is in my heart is hatred towards my wife, not love. But if I tell my wife that I love her, and yet I treat her kindly, and I watch over her soul daily, and I speak tenderly to her, then my profession of love is identifiably true. The false teachers, though, didn't deny Christ with their words. Rather, they affirmed Him by their words. But in their shameless acts, they demonstrated that they were not His. Rather, it gave evidence of their reprobation. Yet the sins that these false teachers are guilty of are the same sins that all of us have been guilty of in every generation thereafter. And yet, in pointing this out, there is some irony to that. Because how often do we hear today of the intelligence of modern man? Right? The people in the past, they were, they were those who were uneducated. They didn't know any better. They were foolish. But we, we are so much smarter than they are. We have progressed in all our ways, whether that's in the sciences or the humanities. We like to think of the, those in the past as fools and we ourselves far superior in every way, the way, we, the way we think, the way we act. Yet even though we tell ourselves how much we have advanced and we like to pat ourselves on the back, how far superior we are to those from the past, one thing that we have not advanced past is we have not advanced out of sin. We still make sin our practice even today. But why? Why, if we are so smart, can we not advance out of sin? Well, because the spiritual condition of everyone who 
is comes forth in this world is one of spiritual death, one of spiritual darkness. We are no different than those people for who are uneducated and antiquated. We were born spiritually dead, and so we are purely natural in our thinking and our reasoning, and so we do all those things that sinners do. Perhaps we all don't commit the exact same sin, but we all commit sin. Perhaps some is are geared toward sexual sins. Perhaps some are geared toward lying, some cheating, some stealing. But it's all sin. We all commit sin. It's the same sin recycled over and over again. Generation after generation for each and every one of us come into this world serving the same Master, which is Satan. The author of Ecclesiastes says in verse 9 of chapter 1, What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. The same sin that was done before is the same sin being perpetuated today. Man arrogantly likes to think that we have attained to a higher knowledge, yet not knowing, not understanding, being spiritually blind that all of those, whether it's those who Jude writes to, or those who are born today, apart from the Spirit, can do no good or pleasing thing before the sight of the Lord. They think today they live morally good because society says it's okay. But society doesn't get to determine what's morally good. God has revealed what is morally good. We all innately, yet dimly, know what is right and wrong. Yet God has likewise in His Word revealed to us what is moral and immoral. And that which is moral is that which reflects the character of God. And we know that in God there is no sin. There is no darkness. And so if He has called something sin, it does not change from being sin because society now says it is. God's standard of righteousness remains the same. And sinners will be dealt with ultimately in the same way. As Jude says in verse 13 at the end, that utter darkness has been reserved forever for the ungodly. And this refers to no matter what time period one lives in. And so Jude in our text this morning writes of the coming judgment reserved for these ungodly who have crept into the churches. And he writes why it is coming. As Jude begins in verse 11, pronouncing a woe to these unbelievers in the churches who have sinned in the way of the Sodomites, who have sinned in the way of these false teachers, and who have sinned in the way of the Israelites in the wilderness. And this woe, it's not a woe like when your friend comes and shows you something cool. W-H-O-A, like, whoa, that's really cool. No, this is a, a woe like the woe Jesus pronounces to the Pharisees in, uh, in His seven woes in Matthew 23. It's a terrible thing to hear. It speaks of the trouble and misery that awaits those who have done evil in the sight of God. Now, as we delve further into our text this morning, then we're going to look at this text under two headings. The first is the perversion of true religion, where we will look at the three examples Jude gives of sin and how they, their sin is after the manner of these wicked men of the Old Testament. The second heading will be pictures of similarity, which we will see in verses 12 and 13, which describe these ungodly men using pictures of natural things to compare them with. Now, the, So it's the perversion of true religion and pictures of similarity. 
So look once again then at verse 11 and see how these unbelievers perverted true religion. Jude says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now we all are probably well aware and can quote Hebrews 11.6 together. right? And we know that without faith it is impossible to please God. All faith or all worship of God which is not rooted all faith that is not grounded in faith is detestable in the sight of God. All worship that is not rooted, rooted and grounded in faith is detestable in the sight of God. The well-intentioned worshiper who comes to worship God yet perhaps just thinks of Him as a good moral teacher and He comes here and He prays with the minister and He sings with God's people even though he does this, the sacrifice to the Lord is not pleasing to him because it was not done in faith. It was not offered with the right disposition of the heart. He truly didn't love God. Rather, what he did was a show. It was smoke and mirrors. Perhaps he comes to make himself feel better. Perhaps it's to demonstrate to others his spirituality. Perhaps he does it because he's pressured by his parents to do it. But regardless of the reason, it is not for the Lord it is not for His glory alone, and so His worship is in vain. And this was true of Cain. And Jude points out that this likewise is true of these false teachers. We are all familiar with the Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel bring an offering, a sacrifice unto the Lord as an act of worship, which was prescribed by the Lord. This wasn't some plan that Cain and Abel came up with on their own. But they received instruction, and so they come and bring this Lord, the Lord the sacrifice. And we see that Abel's sacrifice was one offered in faith. And so the Lord found it pleasing and acceptable. But Cain's sacrifice was not offered in faith. And so the Lord found it displeasing. For we know that the issue was the offerer, not the offering. Many like to say, well, Cain didn't bring the finest fruit to the ground. Well, no. God desires obedience more than sacrifice. It was, the problem was with the offerer. And we see that Cain thought that just doing what God commanded would be good enough. That if I just go through the motions, if I demonstrate external obedience, this will be pleasing in the sight of God, but it was not. And we see even Cain's heart in this. Was, what was Cain's response after this? Was it repentance for his sin? No, it was hatred and anger which led to murder. He was shamed that God did not accept his offering. He was displeased that he was not uh, given approval and the pat on the back by the Lord. He had no sorrow over sin. It was all about me, me, me. And this should teach us then that coming to church on Sunday just isn't enough. This isn't just what God wants. We must make it a priority to, uh, to preparation before we come. That we're coming in faith and gratitude with our whole being directed to God that our affections are warmed and moved unto God-honoring worship. Also, we are to be those who are sorrowful over sin. Sin is rebellion to God's commands. And if we say that we are truly His children, then we should be sorrowful when we break His command and dishonor God. If we are dis, uh, indifferent to sin, it should cause us to seriously question, are we those who walk after the way of Cain? For sin should hurt us that we have transgressed God's law and should bring us 
heartache and bring us down to our knees before God. But we shouldn't do this because others are around or to make ourselves feel better. But no, we should do this because we truly hate sin. Because we delight in the law of God and we want to carry it out in our lives. As Cain saw nothing wrong with his anger and his hatred, which led to murder. We ourselves, if we do not allow sin, if we allow sin to go unchecked, if we don't quench sin, we also could find ourselves in even more grievous sin. These false teachers like Cain worshipped in vain. They spoke the name of Christ, but their hearts were far from Him, as their hearts were towards earthly things and not spiritual ones. So they too, like Cain, hated their brothers, as they sought their brother's spiritual death, trying to get the saints to follow in after their destructive ways. Yet not only were these saints walking in the way of Cain, but they were seeking gain just like Balaam. If you remember, Balaam was sought out by uh, Balak. And Balak wanted uh, Balaam to come to him and to war against Israel by cursing Israel. And the Lord tells Balaam, you're not to do this. You are not to curse Israel because Israel is blessed. Yet, after a while, those who Balak sent to Balaam uh, offer him money. And soon he caves in and he disobeys the Lord and he heads to Balak. And on the road, he's riding on the donkey. Remember, and this is the donkey who sits down in the road as he sees the angel of the Lord before him. And Balaam whips the donkey. And then finally, uh, Balaam's eyes are opened and he sees the angel of the Lord. And in Numbers 22, verse 32, the angel of the Lord says, Behold, I have come to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. And in, num- in Numbers 31, then we see finally war takes place between the Israelites and the Midianites. And even though Balaam was told not to go, after, to go and seek out ba- uh, Balak, he is there warring against the Israelites. And we, see, and we see that he is killed with the sword by the Israelites. Now there are two passages in Scripture that shed some more light on this story. Uh, the first comes from 2 Peter 2.15. When speaking of false teachers that will rise forth, Peter says this, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Also in Revelation 2, verse 14, John says to the church of Pergamum, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. You see, the sins of Balaam were great and many. But in our text here, what Jude highlights uh, is the sin of seeking out gain. That's what Jude is highlighting here, pointing that the false teachers were guilty of this very same sin. And what a stumbling block before so many. How often in Scripture is money spoken about? Jesus speaks about money, maybe most famously in a Sermon on the Mount where he tells the disciples, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will serve God or money, but you cannot serve both. Yet how often this warning goes unheeded. We've all watched the TV shows where you have those TV ministers who are saying, send us money, send us money, and we'll give you like a, a nice little cloth or some, uh, a little cup of tears or something like that. Right? 
But they always say, well, the amount that you send is usually in correspondence to the faith that you have. They're using ways to coerce and to force people to send large amounts of money. Or we all have seen or heard of those ministers who fly in private jets or have the most expensive vehicles or live on the big mansion on the hill. They do this for gain. Greed allows them to take and take and take from their people without giving any concern for who is giving. They show up every Sunday not to feed the sheep, but for the sheep to feed them, to take everything that the sheep have. This, though, is most vile in the sight of God, for ministers were put in the place of the people to most imitate Christ, to be an example to the flock. But instead, they use Christ's name in vain for dishonest gain, just like Balaam. These unbelievers came to the churches. They crept in unnoticed, seeking to amass financial gain, to steal from God's people under the guise that they were really servants of the Lord. But instead of watching over the souls of the people, they tried to darken them. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, says in exhorting elders, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you do, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, we as, as ministers as well as members of the church need to learn from this that we are to be storing up heavenly treasures, not earthly ones, for we can take nothing earthly with us. Our focus should be on Christ, making Him our priority for He is our Master and we His servants. And He has told us that we are those who are to pursue righteousness and all else will be added to us. We have the promise God will take care of His people. But if money is what you want, if you want to be ruled by anything other than Christ, you will begin to serve that thing. So if it is money, your life will start to begin to revolve around accumulating wealth. And before you know it, you're going to push Christ right out of your life. For those times that you spend every day reading His Word, or praying, or coming together with His people, you're going to realize there are times you're missing out on making money. And so, obviously, those things which lose you money are going to start to get pushed out of the way. And you're going to demonstrate that you never really loved the Lord. That you didn't love Him with your mind, soul, heart, and strength. And so, if we are true believers, if we are really His adopted sons and daughters, then we are to be watchful over our hearts. Watchful over our hearts. Not making a God out of anything but only serving the one true God and praying for His aid to that end. Now Jude gives one final comparison of what these false teachers were like. He says that they are like those who perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion likewise comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 26. And if you recall, the Lord tells Moses to go and take a, a census of the people of Israel. And in verse 9, we're told that Korah, as well as others, approached Moses and Aaron and contended against them. And as they contended against them, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, Korah, as well as 250 other people. Now Psalm 106 expounds on this story. In verses 16 to 18, it tells us, When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. 
Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. So the rebellion of Korah was out of jealousy. And this jealousy caused them to contend with Moses and Aaron as they desired the place of Moses and Aaron. And so they gathered up a congregation and sought to oppose him. They wanted a better place than what they had. And so they rose up in rebellion against whom God appointed over them. You see with all these examples of judgment, and there are many, this is the third week now that, we, that we're seeing judgment and condemnation on these people. You can see why this book is often overlooked, why people don't want to teach on it, why people privately don't want to go home and read it. Because we like to hear a lot of grace. right? We're those who like to hear about God's grace. But no, we need to hear the words of Jude so that each one of us can see how sinful that we were at one time and perhaps even see if we are still walking in the way of Korah, of Cain, and of Balaam. And in doing so, we need to ask ourselves, if we are true believers, if I so easily, if I so readily gave myself up to sin, why do I not now serve Christ the same way? We never had a struggle with sin. Sin was so easy to us. It's so natural. But serving God is like pulling teeth. Do I really have to read God's Word today? I'm kind of tired. Do I have to come to church this Sunday? There's a big football game on. Maybe I'll just skip this one week. No one's really going to care. Or if I do come to church, how can I get out real quick without having to talk to anybody? What sinners we all still are. Ask yourselves, why I serve Satan so well, yet why do I serve Christ so poorly? This should rouse us to dedicated, joyful service when we think of it in terms like that. That which brought us death we loved, but that which saved us from death and has given us new life we serve so poorly. We say we love Him, but how often our behavior betrays our profession. If we want to serve God well, we must make it a a point to follow and obey the Lord's commands each and every day to remind ourselves what He has done for us in Christ when we grow weary. To love, to read and pray and worship Him and gather with His people. And we cultivate this by doing it. By telling ourselves why we do it. To make it a point each day when we awaken to focus our affections and our thoughts on God and heavenly things. Not on earthly things. You see, these false teachers didn't care what God desired of them. They had no concern for righteousness and holiness. They hated His authority. And they hated the authority of the ministers He put over them. They wanted their will to be done. They caused division. They drew people into sexual immorality and caused those who they taught to pervert the grace of God. They rebelled and will likewise one day perish in the way of Korah. Their judgment is certain. Don't you find it interesting though that Jude says that they perished in Korah's rebellion. These false teachers perished in Korah's rebellion. He's speaking of it as it has already occurred. Not that it is going to occur in the future. Yet we know that these false teachers are still alive, but this is how certain false teachers can be of their impending judgment. It's a etched in stone, so to speak. This leads us then to our second point of the morning, finally, which is then the pictures of similarity. Pictures of similarity. So looking at verse 12 and 13, Jude then says, speaking of the ungodly, 
These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their shame. Wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take each one of these one by one and see what picture by way of similarity Jude paints of these false teachers. As these descriptions are something that we can visualize. They're in nature and Jude writes this way so that we can see the resemblance between what, is he, what he's describing and these false teachers. It's, he's writing about things that are common, something that we all have knowledge about. And so Jude uses these examples to press home once again, yet in a different manner, the sinfulness of these ungodly teachers who have crept in. For they are those who have feasted, who have ate with the saints, but as they ate with the saints, they were spots and blemishes at the meal. They brought disgrace to the church. They pretended to love the, sh- the saints as they shared in this meal together. Yet they were arrogant and prideful, boastful of their behavior, bringing the church into disrepute. They were teachers who cared only for their own belly, not the nourishment and the growth spiritually of the flock, but the Apostle Paul warned that this would happen. In Philippians 3.18 he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, The God is their belly and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. This described the false teachers. It's all about me. No, shepherds are servants of the flock. They have been charged with feeding the sheep, aiding them in their spiritual maturity, watching over them, that they do not fall stray away from the pasture. This is what a shepherd who loves his flock does. It's not about themselves, it's about the sheep. And ultimately, it's Christ's sheep. It's Christ's sheep that we watch over. And so how much more are we to watch over the sheep of the Good Shepherd? As parents, we watch over our own children really well. But when we babysit someone else's kids, how much better do we watch over their kids? We don't want anything bad happening to them while they're in our care. And so likewise is true here. Ministers have been tasked with the duty of watching over the sheep of the Good Shepherd. And what a task it is. We ought to wrestle with that. And it is such a great task, which is why so many have walked away from it, not wanting to have that burden upon their shoulders. You see, but the ungodly teachers, they have no struggle with it. They don't wrestle with it. They have no concern for the sheep, for their only concern is what I can get out of it. Fame, glory, wealth, riches. But they're a disgrace. They make a a mockery out of the office. And so this first picture which Jude gives us, he says they're like waterless clouds swept away by the winds. They don't produce anything they should. Clouds produce rain which give relief and refreshment to the earth. But instead, these false teachers in their state of misery can produce no godly instruction. They can produce nothing that gives the saints nourishment. For they cannot be good examples as they are those who are swept away by whatever sin it is they want to partake in that day just as the clouds are swept away by wind. It isn't grounded in anything and neither are they. Secondly then, Jude describes them as being similar to fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead, uprooted. 
These teachers having evil hearts cannot produce anything good. All they touch turns rotten. They contaminate all that is good. So what is their use? They have no use. So they ought to be cut down and cast away. As a church, we need to learn that evil men come into the church and can cause great problems within the church. Divisions, factions. This is why Calvin said that nothing does mischief more to a church so much as remissness and kindness to wicked men. Nothing troubles a church more than when we are careless about wicked men in our church and when we are overly kind to wicked men in our church. By Calvin's estimation, we are to cut off such people from the church. Jesus Himself, though, taught this very thing in Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 7, verse 17. Telling His disciples how to spot spot false teachers. He says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their works. Jesus calls them contaminated, diseased. If we knew that someone was diseased, what do we usually do? If they're contagious, we make sure we stay as far away from them as we humanly possibly can. And so we are called here to break fellowship with these false teachers before you too become diseased with them. We are not to fellowship with such wicked people in our churches. For this is Christ's spiritual kingdom. And we are to have no part of evil. And so if someone sins and refuses to repent, they are to be cast off. They are to be cast away. Hopefully that the Lord would use it as a means to demonstrate to them the grievousness of their sin and that they would repent to turn back unto Christ and to return to the church that we may restore them. But as, as long as they are living in a wicked manner, denying Christ in their actions, they are to have no part of the church. Now as Jude says thirdly, they also are like wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. What are waves? Waves are they're unpredictable. They're unstable. Even the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 57, Verse 20, The wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. They have no rest. They have no hope of rest. They have no peace. They live for the pleasure of the moment for this is all they have, that which is earthly. They have no hope of anything future. Yet Christian, our hope is in Christ who now has rested and sits at the right hand of the Father. And so we are those who now rest in Christ. We have peace knowing that our best life isn't now. Although we may struggle to make ends meet, although we may have pains and afflictions that don't allow us to do all that we wish we could do upon this earth, we know that the life to come is exponentially greater. No pain, no anguish, no sin, no struggle. For then we will finally be in the presence of our Lord and all the effects of sin will be cast aside no more fourthly then Jude says that these ungodly teachers are like wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever here is a good end to what Jude has described for he says all this evil you participate in 
Here's all the sins you have been doing. He's describing them in all different ways. And he says, Now eternal darkness is your punishment. Like the star that we, we gaze up into the sky and we see that star in the darkness. Perhaps we look away for a minute to look back and we can no longer see the star we've seen. It's hidden now in the darkness. The ungodly on the last day, on the day of judgment, will be like that star, cast into utter darkness, never to be seen again. This is why it is so important, Christian, that we be aware of those wolves in sheep's clothing, that we do not follow after their teaching, that we do not follow after the behavior of evil men, or else we will prove ourselves likewise deserving of that same punishment. But the good news is that we are not like them. For we have been saved by grace through faith and this is a gift of God. We are a workmanship of Christ and so that Spirit-wrought faith within us now causes us to have a new will, new thoughts, new affections. This is how we can be assured that we are Christ's. That we have this change. And now we desire to do holy things. Not to participate in sin. Now we hate sin. We remove from ourselves those who would aim to pollute us and interfere with our relationship with God. We have seen how these false teachers have been described. But don't look at yourself and say, well, I'm not that bad. I don't do all the sins that they do. No. Rather, look at yourself as a wretched human being. See yourself with a right perspective. See humanity with a right perspective. Yet, also remind yourself of what Christ has done on our behalf. His imputed righteousness. It is His works, His merits, not our own. And so then, out of gratitude and a humble heart for what He has done, we ought to turn to Christ and serve Him ever more fervently than we serve Satan. Darkness is no longer our reward. For we have the true light. The true light has come into the world. And now being united to Christ, we are the light of the world. And so we are to show this world world our good works, that they may see them, that they may see our profession is true, and that the Lord our God who is in heaven may be glorified because of it.